Since September, the Afghan government and the Taliban have been meeting in Doha for something that's being called historic. Historic high-stakes peace talks are underway between Afghanistan officials and the Taliban. Historic negotiations between the Taliban and the Afghan government in Doha. The historic negotiations aim to form a power-sharing government between the two parties and thereby ending more than 40 years of war. But even as the two sides talk peace in Doha, the violence hasn't slowed in Afghanistan. More than 2,000 civilians have been killed this year. Schools and hospitals have been deliberately attacked. Gunmen storming a hospital compound in the capital, Kabul, where the aid organization Doctors Without Borders runs a maternity clinic. As students rush to get out of Kabul University, gunshots could be heard close by. Schoolgirls running for their lives after a rocket lands near their school part of a coordinated attack on the capital, Kabul. And then there are the more targeted killings. Afghanistan has been hit by a wave of assassinations aimed at activists, scholars, journalists, and other civilians. Today, we're bringing you the story of one of them, a journalist who brought the rest of the world plenty of stories about Afghanistan himself. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. And this is Muhammad Elias Dai. Muhammad Elias Dai. On November 12th, Muhammad Elias Dai became the latest journalist to be killed by a targeted car bomb near his home in Lashkargah. Dai was a Halman based reporter for Radio Azadi, a service of the US funded Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty. Abu Bakr Siddiq is one of Dai's colleagues. I think Dai was undoubtedly the leading reporter in Helmand, one of the best journalists in southern Afghanistan. Abu Bakr is based in Prague, where he edits RFERL's English language Gantara website. He works with a large network of correspondents across Afghanistan and Pakistan. And before Dai's death, Abu Bakr shared bylines with him for years. Dai, who was 33 when he was killed, grew up in and reported from Helman. One of the most dangerous frontline provinces in Afghanistan, where a lot of the fighting in recent Afghan history was concentrated. Dai was a key resource in getting interviews for me, his own reporting in Pashto for Radio Azadi was invaluable. True to his journalistic training, he was a neutral. He had contacts with everyone, but particularly contacts with ordinary Afghans from all walks of life. He was very well respected by everyone. And from what I have seen after his tragic killing, he's mourned by all. Abu Bakr wrote Dai's obituary for Gantara. He told me it was the hardest thing he's ever had to write. And in his story about Dai's killing, he shared several examples of his colleagues reporting from Helman. Helman has been in international news often over the last two decades. 
U.S. Marines have returned to Afghanistan's southern province of Helmand. British forces spent eight years in Helmand fighting the Taliban. The Pentagon is sending a battalion of 500 soldiers to halt and advance by the Taliban in the volatile Helmand province. But Dai's reporting was different. He wrote about the fighting, but his stories were also about Afghan society and culture. Like this one from 2018, about activists with a grassroots movement gathering signatures for a petition demanding peace. And this report, one of his last stories on a Helman initiative encouraging farmers to grow bananas instead of opium poppies. So in the obituary that you wrote, you called Mohammed Elias Dai a narrator of Afghan hope and suffering, which is so poignant. Can you tell me more about the kinds of stories that he reported and how he represented that narrator? Most of the media is focused on Afghanistan after the 9-11. International media's focus on Afghanistan has been kind of from a foreign perspective where people go in and do stories about what their specific country's military uh, or diplomatic mission was doing in Afghanistan and how their funding was impacting Afghanistan. But Dai's main focus was always Afghans, their suffering, their happiness and the hope. And he also focused on bringing a lot of color from the field profiling people, how they are coping with displacement, how they are coping with loss of their loved ones. For example, I remember a story about his own ancestral village. The village name is Chainjir. And he went there one day when the Taliban and the Afghan security forces were fighting over the fate of his ancestral village. And he told a moving story about how people were trapped in the crossfire between the two sides. So his whole reporting was from a completely different angle. And in addition to his reporting for Radio Azadi, Dai was a resource for international journalists and scholars covering Helman. I think it's definitely true that he was responsible for most of the reporting coming out of Helman. And he was frankly reporting from places that are very hard to visit for international correspondent. And, and then, of course, the linguistic barrier, the cultural barrier. It was very difficult for many journalists, I think most foreign journalists, to make sense of Helmand or that part of Afghanistan without Dai's help, his guidance. And then, on November 12th, Dai was killed. From what we know from his family and what we know from his brother, who was also injured in the attack on Dai. Dai left his house on the morning of November 12th in his car, which was parked inside the house. And some distance from his house, a magnetic bomb attached to his car exploded, which killed him instantly. So that's what we know about the incident. Several outlets have reported on the threats that Dai faced in his reporting. Can you tell me more about why this job in this region was so dangerous? 
Well, I think all of Afghanistan is uh, a dangerous place for journalists, but places like Hilmand, remote provinces, contested regions, contested between Afghan government, the Taliban, and until very recently between US-led or NATO-led international forces were particularly and are particularly dangerous because the only light that proverbially can be is shined onto these regions is through journalists or maybe also human rights uh, campaigners and researchers. So warring sides, particularly the armed groups fighting against the government, they are very worried about such people. Like Abu Bakr said, the whole country can be dangerous for journalists. And it's been that way for a long time. The Committee to Protect Journalists has tracked the deaths of 50 reporters on the job in Afghanistan since 1992. Nearly half of those deaths had been in the last five years. And nearly half of those were just from one day, in 2018. The Afghan journalists rushing to the site of an explosion this past week in Kabul were trying to cover the news. They didn't realize it was a setup. Nine journalists died in a double suicide bombing in Kabul. A tenth journalist was shot dead in the eastern city of Khost. In Afghanistan, journalists are often caught in the crossfire or even targeted. That was the deadliest day for journalists in Afghanistan since the Taliban's fall in 2001. Earlier this year, ISIL claimed responsibility for an attack on a van carrying 15 employees of Khurshid TV, another news station. Journalist Mir Wahid Shah and technician Shafiq Amiri were both killed. And then, five days before Dai's death, former news anchor Yama Siavash was killed along with two of his colleagues, also by a magnetic car bomb. They all chronicled a period of massive change in Afghanistan. One of the things that you have to remember about Afghanistan is that while Afghanistan is struggling with very complicated security issues, with a very complicated transition, with the peace process that is fraught, that is facing all kinds of dangers, I think media freedom, press freedom has been a huge achievement in Afghanistan. Afghanistan now has a press that has prosperous tremendously from a virtually non-existent electronic media at the turn of the century under the Taliban. Afghanistan has now dozens and dozens of television channels, satellite channels, foreign media have bureaus. It has newspaper, magazines, radios. So media has mushroomed. And it has also empowered a new generation in Afghanistan. Afghans are no longer uh, distant or cut off from the rest of the world. They are letting the world uh, know their problems. So I think the only motivation that I see uh, behind such despicable crimes is to silence journalists. I think this is a specific message for the Afghan civil society. These kinds of targeted attacks are a warning to journalists to not do 
what is their job which is to report the truth report facts why will anybody cold-bloodedly murder a journalist who is unarmed who has no political stakes in the sense that he's not a member of any group any particular party why would they be killed the only motive seems to be to silence journalists and stop them from reporting facts this silencing comes as afghanistan grapples with what the un calls near record violence earlier this year and then there are those targeted attacks on civilians in broad daylight on the streets targeted assassinations there's tight security but no one feels safe there's been a wave of attacks on activists academics poets and politicians I asked Abu Bakr how things reached this point. Well, overall, what is happening in Afghanistan and what has been happening in Afghanistan, that there are two primary sides to the various cycles of war in Afghanistan. One is an internal Afghan political struggle. There is a domestic power struggle among different groups who have changed over decades. And then there is the international or regional dynamic of the war in Afghanistan. Afghanistan is a center of a complex struggle between regional countries, for example, India and Pakistan. Iran has its own interests. Russia has interests there. And of course, we have U.S., NATO and international military presence there. Unfortunately, in all these cycles of war, the primary victims of these wars, the primary losers of all these wars have been Afghans, particularly civilian Afghans, helpless Afghans who have suffered. I think the way some of the politics is now happening in Afghanistan is through what the warring side maybe think of as battlefield advantage, which is to control the population and control the territory. So one way of controlling the population, unfortunately, for some groups is to intimidate them. Another way of controlling the population is to remove dissenting voices. And that's what has primarily been happening with these assassination campaigns in Afghanistan. And while the Afghan government and the Taliban talk peace in Doha, I asked Abu Bakr how things might appear from the ground in Afghanistan, where the violence never seems to end. Well, I think Afghans have great hopes in the peace talks. And the peace talks at the end of the day are, I think, one of the best ways to get to a political settlement. But I think the peace talks on its own or even a peace agreement that is only limited to people signing pieces of paper will not work. Because what Afghans are looking at is that the violence that so horribly affects them is increasing, it's not decreasing. So I think the peace process, while it has achieved a lot, it has failed in bringing the warring parties to a permanent ceasefire or as they've come up with a new term in the Afghan conflict, a reduction in violence. That has not happened. And unfortunately, that means that the parties will still 
push each other to fall or surrender because of military pressure from them. And that's why the war in Afghanistan apparently seems to be unending. Gai is just one of the most recent casualties in that seemingly unending war. He left behind a large family, including his wife and child, and also an audience of listeners who relied on his journalism. In the days after his death, there was this wave of emotion online. In one tweet making the rounds, a journalist said 95% of the international stories reported from Helmand's capital over the last few years couldn't have happened without Dai. And beneath that tweet, there was another from someone who'd been listening to his reports since childhood, before school and after dinner. Dai kept us informed about war-torn Helmand, they said. From across Afghanistan, from our listeners, we have seen an outpouring of sympathy, of grief, and condemnation without reservation. Everybody has termed this a heinous crime and an effort to silence journalists. Nobody has claimed responsibility for the despicable act, and Afghans have we have seen their love, their support, and their sympathy for our fallen colleague. So, Abu Bakr, before I let you go, how are you doing these days? Because this is your colleague who was killed, someone you worked with closely. That must take a toll on you. I think it's a very difficult time for all of us, for all of our team, our entire organization, specifically for my colleagues who cover Afghanistan and Pakistan, specifically Radio Azadi's large correspondent network, their team of close to 100 journalists in Prague and across Afghanistan. And you feel sorry, but it also, I think, at the end of the day, it tells us that what we do is really very important for the Afghan people and the future of Afghanistan. And despite the dangers, I think we all agree on one thing, which is that we need to do our jobs better, we need to work harder, because at the end of the day, it brings Afghanistan's story to the world and to Afghans themselves. And that's The Take. You can read Dai's stories on Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty's Dantara website. We'll share links to some of them on our Twitter account, at AJTheTake. This episode was produced by Nagin Oliai, with Oni Wohacha, Dina Kispe, Priyanka Tilve, Ney Alvarez, Alexandra Locke, and Amy Walters. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Natalia Aldana is our engagement producer. Stacey Samuel is our executive producer, and Graylin Brashear is our head of audio. We'll be back.